it's time for a change. Strap your headphones on and join Chris, Scott, and Sean. Three active duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs. As they face the tough subjects, including police brutality, racial tension, rioting, and more. Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is a show about about opening a dialogue, accepting that something has to be done, and bringing communities together again. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. Hey folks, welcome back. It's Sean uh, from uh, Three Cops Talk. I'm here with Chris today. And uh, Sergeant Scott has joined us. Today's session is going to be a Q&A session. We'll answer some of the questions that you've been sending to us, which are some really good questions. We're looking forward to the opportunity to get them out. Okay. Uh, so hello, everybody. So here's the first question from Natasha. So the question is, is what made you decide to be a police officer? Because I think their character and intentions are best shown in that answer. I think we should all answer that. Sure. Who wants to yeah. Sarge? Scott? Um, okay. Well, like I said a uh, previous show, that this wasn't always necessarily a career path that I was looking at. Um, it was something that, that kind of just came to me through some experiences that I had uh, during my college days. But I think the background of why I'm, I feel I'm good at doing this job is just because of some of the challenges that I had when I was younger family-related things. Um, religion was a big part of my life growing up, and I think those were, other, those were all things that kind of prepared me to have the, uh, uh, the good moral values, the ability to interact with people, having that kind of helpful nature and wanting to do things for people and, and do good things. I feel that was kind of all, those were all things that came together and um, just kind of culminated into what, how I developed myself as a person, and it just was an easy transition into this job. Um, I think those are some of the things that you have to have that you fall back on when you deal with some of the stresses of this job. So that, that for me, has been the biggest part of what, what got me into this line of work and, and keeps me in this line of work. So for me, it's Chris. Um, I decided to be a police officer a long time ago when I was a kid, and... Um, being in the predominantly Polish family, I've answered this question before that, you know, it was all about money and it was all about, um, you know, being successful and whatever and, you know, doctors, lawyers, that kind of stuff. So as I got older, I followed that path and I had cousins and family who were policemen. And one day uh, there was a domestic battery and I saw the police come in and they were so professional. They came in, they made the uh, female half of, of the situation feel better. They dragged the bad guy off to jail and it really... M- it really stuck in me that I can go out there on a daily basis and help people. Even though I see people at the worst, I can make people feel better and make their day better and show them some empathy and show them some different avenues that they can, um, that they can make their life better in themselves. And I guess that leaves me, uh, I always wanted to be a cop since I was a kid. I was always impressed with the uniform, the idea that, you know, uh, you can't really hide from it. Um, because people know you're a cop 24, seven, 365. I really, like the idea of being able to put what skill set I ever have that's, you know, manageable. You know, I went in the Army, got some of that, took it out, and then brought it to the police world, uh, that structure order, the idea that, you know, there's few of us that have to do some really rough things. And I, for some reason, I always just didn't ever see that as, as scary or whatever it was. Um, I like the idea that, 
you know, there's a lot of pressure on us and there's a lot of things that we got to constantly work on and no day is the same. And the tougher it gets, it seems like, uh, I don't word there's any other way than I'm gonna, is the more fun it seems. Like right now is a very challenging time for our profession. And, you know, when the going gets rough, you know, you get going. And, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now and why I like it. I'm, I've done this for 20 years and it's been by far the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And I've seen humans at their best and their worst. And at the end of the days, the only thing I'm going to take with me are the memories of serving my fellow man and, and, and seeing that stuff. And there's no other job out there like this. I was in, like I said, I was in the military and I was a cop and people ask me what was tougher. And I'll tell you infinitely harder. It's to be a member of law enforcement because it's people that understand what freedom is and people that understand like liberties and rights. Um, in the military, you go a lot of places that people never had it and they're appreciative of whatever little they get. Or Americans like we're, you know, we're, not Bush League when it comes to liberty and freedom. And uh, you got to learn to understand that and, and do a good job with it. And uh, it's very challenging. And, and I enjoy the challenge. All right, great. Thanks. Good question, uh, Natasha. Next one comes from Mike. We're going to direct this one to Sean. <clears throat> um, the question is, do you believe you should have the same basic requirements as a career nurse before you become an officer of the law, like an associate's degree, maybe a bachelor's degree, and ongoing required training? Yeah, I'm a big fan of obviously uh, the more education you get, the better. Um, there's a lot of professions here like uh, folks on the fire side. I was looking at, you know, just getting into public safety when I got out of the Army. And I remember talking to the secretary that ran the Police and Fire Commission. And I was like, oh, I'd like to be a firefighter too, maybe if that's possible. And she's like, not so fast because you don't have anything that's required to even get looked at for that. They have to come with a paramedic certification, things along those lines. I don't think that would hurt law enforcement in any way. I don't know what the best way to do that is. But the bottom line is, is in a state like ours, you're sponsored by an agency. You're sent to an academy, which is a generic academy that is, for the most of us that work as police officers in this state, is, you know, kind of vanilla to be honest with you like chicago has its own academy it's very chicago specific it's a good academy for basic academies um but you know not a lot of the rest of us got that i'm a big fan of education where because just whether you feel college is worth it or not the cost and everything else i i'd say that it definitely is a social experience for you to get outside the norms particularly if you become a, a resident like a student on campus doesn't matter what it is and uh the internship program that we run at our, our department is, is very, it's a great reminder of that. Um, again, I'm not saying that people that don't have college degrees can't become great cops. Just what to me makes a great cop is somebody that's got a lot of different experiences with a lot of different people other than the known. Because again, when you become a cop, generally you stay in the same place for 30 years. Very few people switch, um, especially in a union environment where there's pensions and contracts and things along those lines. So you can get very you know, uh, provincial. And the more experiences that you have and the more outside experience you have uh, is only that much better for being able to relate to a community. And the less experience, obviously, is, is you know, only going to hurt you. Right. And I'm going to throw one other thing in there. You know, having those um, degrees and stuff are great. It means you could write a great report. But I think part of it that, you know, uh, Scott and I see a lot more of is is when you're on the street, you have to be able to talk to people, different types of people. Absolutely. And just because you can write a great report, that doesn't mean, um, you know, you can go out there and you know show professionals and empathy. And I think that's why when you have the field training program, that where uh, Scott and I come into players like, you know, not so much me, but Scott has to have those hard talks with some of these guys. Who are like, listen, your heart's there. That's great. But you suck at it. It's just not. You just you just can't do it. It's a, it goes to the story when I was a kid. I wanted to be a pitcher, 
And my dad's like, son, I love you, but you suck. Shortstop, center field, you got it, but pitcher, you're going to embarrass yourself. And that's one of the things, and I think you're going to see a lot of these questions are going to be building blocks to each other that they're all encompassing of some type of education formally, street education, and then you have to have people like Scott or Sean um, or your peers that have to make that hard decision and tell you that this may not be for you. Wouldn't you agree, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. I, I see a lot of people with varying experience. Um, I deal with anything from people. I'm working with people on a daily basis that have 20, 25 plus years all the way down to people who are brand new at this job. And you you get to know, you have to get to know people right away. You have to get to know those younger officers right away. You have to see what their strengths are and weaknesses are. And you have to you have to cultivate those those things that they're doing well, and you have to try to break them of those bad habits or steer them in a di- uh, different direction early on when they're doing that thing because we're all different. We've all got different life experiences. We've all encountered different things in our, our personal and professional lives, some people more than others. Um, and sometimes people get put into situations in this profession that maybe they've never encountered or someone that had a very unique situation that you don't have any frame of reference but you have to be able to think things through and, and have those people skills to, to get through those situations and, and try to make the best of those difficult things. I, one other thing I'd add to that, to be honest with you, we tell the interns, people that want to be police officers, like people ask me all the time, hey, what should I do? What, you know, should I take criminal justice? And I'm like, honestly, that's something that you learn really on the job because it's very specific to each agency, each county, each state. What I tell folks is, what is our commodity? They look at me like, well, guns and tactics. And I say, no, commodity is people in need. Become uh, a psych major and a communications minor because those are the two things we need to know and understand the best. Like you, every call you go on, no one's calling you to be there because it's the best day of their life. It's the day that's the worst day of their life. Their car got stolen, their mom and dad were fighting, and somebody's got to go to jail. They don't forget those moments. Um, that's what we deal with and the lack of compassion that sometimes we show like knowledge of the prison system and how the Quakers developed it to better commune with God and things like that is lost on anybody that needs to go to prison so the fact that I know that does nothing for the commodity that's I'm not trying to demean criminal justice as a as a major or have every Thank criminal you. justice major <laughs> in the country. I was a minor, dude. I was poli-sci, criminal justice. I'm All with right. you. Um, but I'm not uh, trying to say that that's not worth it, but if I could go back and do it again, I would look well, at things. Well, it's good that, for you. Right. It's, 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 you'll do. Um, that's why I couldn't be an astronaut, <laughs> by the way. Um, but it's something that I'd say that you really understand the commodity that you're dealing with, and it's kind of broken people. And if you understand broken people, you can be a much better cop in the process. And then how I talk to you about that and how I get a message out. I mean, you guys know. We work in a profession where, like, I will, in five minutes, I theoretically could be on a call where you and I are fighting for our lives and I'm trying to help you, but I can only get a monosyllabic grunt out of you in the hallway when I see you when we pass each other for the last 15 years. We're terrible communicators. And a lot of it is caught up in the moment. It's things like that. But we all need to be much better at that. And I would really get outside of what the norm was, to be honest with you, at this point. Okay, the next one comes from Connor. Um, we're just going to go around the, around the table on this one. We'll start with Scott here. What is the best and worst parts of your day-to-day job? Well, it's easy to say the best parts are, you know, I'm out there helping people. Everybody says, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I took this job to go out there and help people. Um, honestly, it's, it's doing some of the things that you would do in your personal life, but you're doing them in more in a, uh, on an official capacity in your, in your role as a police officer. And it's, it, it is a good, uh, it does take a good sense of pride in 
knowing that you're doing those kinds of things for other people in your community. Um, it's nice to get that feedback from people know, knowing that you're doing that. Um, there, there definitely is uh, a sense of you, you feel like you're making an impact. You want to think that you're making an impact on the people that you serve and, and the people that you interact with in your community. I, I like the fact that most people see you as a role model for other people. Um, I like the fact that I, I feel it's a, a noble profession and that um, I, I feel proud being able to share that with my family and that my family supports me in what I do. Obviously, the difficult things, you could go on and on and on about all the, the difficult things that happen. You, it's sometimes hard to go to work not knowing what to expect. Maybe you have a great day and everything goes your way all day and, and nothing really negative, and then you have something really really horrible that happens or you have an interaction with a person someone loses a loved one someone commits suicide i mean some just extremely awful things that no one should really no one ever wants to encounter but you do encounter those things and then it's just okay well i finished out my shift i'm taking off my gear and i'm hanging everything up and i'm out the door in my car and a half an hour later i'm home and people say, well, how was your day today? Well, it's not always that easy to just sit down and say, and you don't want, those aren't things that you're going to share typically with your family, those awful, tragic things that you see happen. So you tell your family, your kids, well, you know, everything was great. Had a great day. We, we you know, another shift. I'm back home. Going to do it again tomorrow. So you, those are some really difficult things and you really unfortunately see some really awful things over the the course of your career people that are in terrible situations terrible loss and you are just expected as a cop to go out and deal with those and turn around and do it again the next day for 25 30 years i'd say probably for me it's uh the thing that was most like difficult about it over the 20 years that i've been doing it is the permanence and f uh, the randomness of death, like the idea of like, you know, I remember calls like a, you know, a child choking on a grape and we couldn't save the kid. Um, things along those lines that, you know, there's just like, man, why has this got to happen? The odds of that. The best part of the job for me is just on an individual level has been having a front row seat to what everybody else just talks about. You know, you get to say, hey, I've survived it. I don't know if I necessarily did it the best way I possibly could, but I definitely am walking and talking and upright um, and, you know, helping to make an impact and helping to be there for the things that a lot of people don't want to deal with and probably shouldn't deal with. So that to me simply stated are the two. Yeah. For me, I think the, the best, the, the best and worst parts of my day could be usually it's the same call because you, you are seeing your people at the worst and the best days that you get to help somebody and the worst days is, is, is that, their life is crumbled. And that's why we're there. Okay, so moving on. I am going to turn this one to Sean and Scott just because they have a particular story that can coincide with this uh, question. Would you rat on a bad cop? What are the consequences? Simple answer, yes. It was the easiest, one of the easiest things I've ever done. Uh, we had an incident where um, we were working in the drug unit. We had an informant come forward and make some bold statements to us. Kind of, we were like, what? Come on, dude. You're just BSing us because you're looking to get out of something or cut us off your back to get you to work. And 
I just watched the kid's body language, and I was like, I don't know, man. There's something, there's something here. I don't, I don't know. This is just, you know, laying down a stink shell to get us off him. And I later saw him in court, and he stayed with it, man. He was adamant. He was, like, in my face about it. Like, he wasn't backing away because I called him out. I'm like, hey, man, it ain't right. You're kind of dropping those things just to get out of something. And he's like, I'm going to tell you right now. And he was really adamant about it. And then, um, you know, we all got together, and the unit scout was part of that with me. We kind of talked about it, and it was, like, unanimous. We're like, that's BS, man. We, we're not putting up with uh, – and I'm not going to get into the details of the conditions and things like that, but we were readily that afternoon gave it up right to the chain of command. Sooner or later, the investigation was conducted, and um, – he was removed from the job um, and it was the right thing to do for a lot of different reasons. And it was very personal to me in a sense is because what the guy was doing was something that could have got me hurt. But the bigger thing was, is, you know, the reputation that we had and what the guy was going through and doing was unbelievably bold. And I thought, well, where do you learn to do something like that to be that kind of arrogant and, uh, Glad to see him go, to be honest with you. Good, good riddance. And, and it was probably one of the prouder things I think of in my career that, you know, everybody hears the stories of that and go, ah, it's never going to happen to me. And we, we worked for a largely really solid agency on that level. And he was out, gone, rather quickly. Yeah, it was one of those things where you, I couldn't actually believe when it came to light and, and this person was making this accusation. I, I couldn't believe it because it's one of those things that you – you go to the police academy or you, you go through a, you know, a background check and they say, oh, you know, we talk about integrity and all these things. And you've probably had that scenario given to you at some point during your hiring process or your background check saying, hey, what if someone was that you that you worked with was doing something improper or illegal? Do you have the, the courage to take that person to task on that or bring it up to your, your chain of command or do something? So when it actually happens to you, it's kind of bizarre. And I, it was initially kind of a shock but when i saw the circumstances of what was going on i said yeah absolutely and and the person who was involved in this kind of came you know they had a reputation of their own um that preceded them when they when they came to our agency so you thought to yourself wow i, I can't really believe that someone is making this accusation about this person but again like sean said because we were kind of going through the same incident at the same time you, you couldn't believe that it was happening, but as we dug deeper and realized, wow, this really is something going on, that somebody that we work with is doing something illegal, and um, it's been brought to light by someone um, in, in that arena. And so, yeah, we we brought it up through our chain of command. They talked to that person, and, and they they gave it up, and, and they were gone. And, and we still there's still stories. We tell that story about that individual to this day sometimes and I actually have used it to discuss with newer officers or even people um, at the police academy or things like that if it if you have an opportunity because it's nice to have a real actual story rather than just someone on an interview panel asking you what you would do in that situation it's nice to have a first-hand story to say listen I experienced this this is what I did and this was the outcome and the good thing about the, the totality of it was word like that gets out quick and the rest of the organization was very supportive of what we do. Like, oh, my God, so glad you guys did that. That's And, again, the individual in question, to Scott's point, had a pretty solid reputation as a cop. And everybody, and this is just our experience in this, was pretty supportive of the fact that we had the stones to do it. Okay, next question comes from Travis. With the extreme stress of your career, with the public demand that you do it perfectly 100% of the time, and the disrespect and hatred of so many people purely for the choice of profession, what drives you 
to keep doing it. I can answer that. That what drives me to keep is, is, you know, you'll hear the old saying, well, everybody, I do this to protect people. And, and that's really true. I do this because there are people out there that cannot protect themselves. There are people out there that do not know where to turn to. There are people out there that need help. And that's why I do it every day. Whether it's, you know, the, the neighbor next door, it's a bully, it's a domestic situation, it's a sexual assault, it's a fight in progress. I do it to make sure that the innocent person that doesn't know how to either defend themselves or have nowhere to go has some place to go. All right. Next one. This one's, uh, uh, this is uh, from Steve. Um, I'm sorry. This one's from Matt. Sean, how do you personally deal with fellow officers who appear to act with racial bias? I let them know right away that I think that the behavior is not good and it's going to get us all in trouble. And, uh, you know, obviously you try to use the least intrusive means uh, to get somebody to buy into what you're talking about. And, you know, in this day and age, it's not that hard to do, but it's, you know, I honest opinion, it's not that prevalent. Um, if somebody's doing something that I think is going to make us all look bad, I'll point it out to them right away. Fortunately for me, I get to see some of these things in scenario-based training because I'm a trainer and we can immediately debrief it. And if the person wants to be defensive about it, he's got a, so to speak, a safe space to do that. But what they soon find is that the people that are also participating in the training are giving them the same feedback that I am. So I mean, there's a lot of things we're doing as a profession to help address some of these things, these misconceptions and misperceptions through lack of experience or just being ham-handed in certain situations. Um, but most of us, including myself, confront the person about it and explain to them what's going on. I'll be honest with you. Like in any job, most people will listen to that and stop doing it. All right. Uh, that was come from uh, Bethany. Scott, is there anything happening ch to change the culture enough that whistleblowers can report an abusive cop or ones they think will cross the line without facing huge backlash? I'm assuming that's backlash from the public and, you know, internally in the police department from officer to officer. Absolutely. I mean... The, today where everything is audio, video, everything is tracked everywhere, you're, you're accountable for everything that you're doing all, all day long. From the minute you sign on in your car to the minute you're signing off and going home, people know where you're at, what you're doing, what messages you're sending. Everything's video, audio, recorded. I'm not saying that we need that because we are trying to, um, because we have a problem. I'm just saying that that is just the nature of the society that we live in nowadays and I know that our, you know, our process for taking complaints, we don't, we don't deny taking citizen complaints from anyone. And if, and if anyone has a complaint, they come in and make those complaints. They, if they, you know, want to talk to a supervisor, a boss, something like that, they absolutely have the right to do that. And we will, we will look into every one of those complaints. And we have, we have our own internal systems where we, we keep documentation of that and documentation, whether it turns out to be legitimate or, or unfounded. I mean, we, there, sometimes people feel that they have a complaint about uh, the way an officer did something. And sometimes it's just a procedural thing versus the way an officer actually doing something, you know, of what they believe to be offensive or something along those lines. But yes, we do do a good job. And I think most police departments are, are going this way now, because honestly, if you're not, making sure that you're keeping uh, tracks, uh, keeping track of those types of things, of complaints that people have or officer conduct, 
you're really just setting yourself up for for more uh, uh, litigation or, or problems by allowing those kind of people to to keep conducting themselves that way. Yeah, and I think that that as we're talking before, it all relates back to, and I think that goes to back to like listening and talking, and you know, higher education versus whatever that you're able to talk to people because. I would have to say a lot of the times that when, when we run into it, it's because the person's upset they got a ticket or they got arrested, and it's not. It, it, they have to be more upset of themselves than it's some than of the, the delivery officer. of the officer too. I mean, we got to be better customer agents when we're talking to people. You know, we're customer service reps with guns, and you know, treat the person with dignity and respect. We make big mistakes sometimes as cops because we're like, "Hey, this person had a bad day. Let me make them feel worse about it." Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like you were in a crash and somebody got hurt. I'm yelling at you as the police officer, like. It's like, what am I solving there by doing that? Like, I'm upset like everybody else, but back up, realize the person made a mistake, work with them through the mistake. Some things are worse than others, I get it, um, but a lot of it's just delivery on our part. Right. The next one is, is it is it a shame, or isn't it a shame that the bad few, rep, bad few ruin the reputation of the whole and, and some transparency in those issues do some good? So I... I, yes, it is. And I think what's, to me, if we, there's more transparency and you'll see them with the most current events that, you know, you see the media and social media and everything taking a left-hand turn before the even facts are out there. So I think as agencies and not just us, but all around the country, they're very, they're much more transparent um, on, uh, on what's going on. And they have to get that out there because what's going to happen is, is anything that hits social media or the news, it's not the guy that saves the baby from choking. It's the guy that went too far. It's the guy that pushed the person. And then they're going to show that 30-second clip of what happened. They don't show the minute and a half before. Or not to get onto this, but like in Atlanta, um, they were with that, I believe it was 44 minutes they were with the guy who was DUI. 44 minutes before that shooting occurred. I don't think I've talked to anybody in a DUI situation for more than 14 minutes. So, you know, I... I with that, and then they, they only show the, the, the little clip. So my personal opinion is, is yes, we do need to be more transparent. I think agencies as a whole are doing a much better job. And I also think as a population is we need to have the discussion about what is the whole scenario, what exactly happened from start to finish. And one thing on that too, um, one thing, a conversation that I've had quite a, quite a bit over the last year or two people who, who want more information about a certain incident that happened, and it might not even be something that happened directly to them. Hey, I was with this person and this happened, or I was in the car with this person and they got arrested. And I'll tell them, hey, the, there's video and audio of everything that happened during that interaction. There's a police report that's written for everything that took place during that interaction. You wouldn't have believed the number of FOIA requests that come nowadays for uh, police audio and video, police reports, and and how much information we do turn over. So I've, I've said to people simply that maybe want to debate me on something, well, this happened to my friend, and I don't think it's right. Okay, well, I may not have been there either. And if I can't, you know, if I can't explain it to you, then feel free to get a copy of the video and the audio, and you'll see everything that transpired. Feel free to request a copy of the police report, and you'll know everything that happened from the minute that interaction started all the way through to the end. All right. Hey, producer Mike here. One thing about, um, to touch on what you said, Chris, which triggered something for me, which is um, the good stuff never gets re reported. The stuff where there was a, 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 a escalated, tense, violent, potentially violent situation that 
you guys come in and talk the guy off the ledge or it resolves peacefully, that literally never gets reported. So the only thing that ever gets reported is when things go a little haywire. And I think that's, you know, that, that's something I think as the, uh, um, as the society side, as the civilian side here at this table, that we should be more cognizant of because, you know, it, it's just one of those, it's really easy to keep shining the bad light on when stuff goes wrong, but, but you really don't hear too much. There's not a lot of, you know, feel good stories about when you let someone off from a ticket or a DUI or whatever, and, and they were fine and they, their life moved on normally, you know, that's right. all. Right. All right, Scott, next one comes from Chuck. Why is intimidation a tool used when approaching a situation? It creates a tense situation where people may react in a way that creates a violent situation. The follow-up is uh, Mateo. He says, I'd like to know more about this as well, about establishing and controlling dominance authority. When is it needed and when, when it, and when it goes wrong? Okay, that's a good question. I mean, the... I can't, I, I, and again, the, the intimidation, when you say intimidation, I don't know. It's kind of, it's a little vague just because I don't know what his maybe theory is on intimidation or. or he probably just thinks that like we considered officer problems, right. I think. And, it, and, and that's where I, and that's where I was going with that was that, um, you know, one of the things that we're taught from the very first time we go into the police academy and one of the tools in our tool belt, even though it's not officially something you can put your hands on is called our, our officer presence. That's what, that's what they call it. That's how we're trained when we're new. It's officer presence. It's not about walking into a room and being a bully or walking into a situation and being a bully and telling everybody, Hey, I'm the cop here. You know, I'm, I'm the tough guy. This is what's going to happen. It's just literally sometimes just your uniform and your, your calming presence. But we, we also call it command presence just that alone walking into a situation is something that can at least start to establish some type of control. I mean, yes, when you get down to it, we we are authority. We we are an authoritarian position, but it doesn't mean that we go right to um getting loud with people or bossing people around or doing that type of stuff. We we tell new recruits in the academy all the time. You might go to a situation like a violent domestic or something that is a, a, a real hot situation, you come in there as a voice of reason, as a, a, as a presence to try to restore the order to whatever is going on there. Sometimes just that little bit initially can be enough to de-escalate those types of situations, and, and that's the type of thing that works to your advantage. So it's not meant to be, in my opinion, an intimidation. It's merely just to represent that, hey, Something is going wrong. We've been called there to help try to resolve it. And my, my initial appearance here, my initial um, uh, interaction with people here, I'm the one who's been put in charge with trying to resolve this situation. I mean, from my own military experience, I mean, that, that, is, that question is a good question. But I look at it and I say to myself, hey, there was all sorts of indicators like somebody was supposedly a badass just based upon what they were wearing. You know what I mean? Like he had a combat patch on his right shoulder. Wow, he has seen some stuff. Depending upon what the patch represented, it was it the Black Horse? Was it All-American patch for being the 82nd Airborne? Was it the 101st and things like that? What 
fruit salad did the guy have on his chest? Um, and it very rarely did it have anything to do with rank. Is that an MRE? It, it's, okay. it's not. Well, some people get them that easily, but uh, most checking. people don't. Or is that because that uh, you were an officer? You those get, people, yeah, those, those people okay. were called officers. Those guys got those medals rather easily. But anyway, um, it, it's, it's an idea of like, hey, get to know the person before you kind of make an indication as to how intimidating the guy is. And some of the most low-key, cool dudes I've ever met, there's a lot of people from the SF community come out and these guys got stuff that you can't possibly imagine that they've seen and done. And they're the most nondescript dudes you could ever meet. They're so low-key and very appreciative of what you've done. And these guys are Delta guys that are training SWAT guys. And again, you could be intimidated by all of the things the guy represents, but get to know the presence, get to know what that's about, and get to know that a lot of times that presence can solve a lot of the problems so it doesn't go that way. All right. All right. Sean, this is right for you. All right. This is from Mark. What would they think if they were required to train in martial arts one day of the week till they at least attain a blue belt and keep training their entire career? This way they could subdue this way they could do sub most offenders without either a taser or deadly force. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty bold statement of saying like I could subdue somebody simply because I have a blue belt. I mean, great theory, great thought. The the short answer to that is yes, most officers would love that. They would love to have that kind of training, love to kind of have that acumen. But, you know, compare belts by discipline. Jiu-jitsu to get to a blue belt is way, way more complex and involved. And then when you start moving up to you know, the darker belts and that end of it, like you've rolled for a while, you've become injured, you've dedicated tons of time to it. Some of the simpler sports and things like that that are not very practical when you're dealing with somebody on the street, like, uh, you know, you ask everybody, did you take any martial arts? And they throw this one out, and you're like, yeah, well, everybody kind of takes that. It's like, you know, I vote. You know, oh, good for you. You're doing your part. Um, those kind of things uh, are, are also costly. So, again, like I say to anybody, some of these things that people expect from us, some of these things that people want from us require officers to be off the street in order to do this training, they'd be paid to do that. Well, that doesn't negate the fact that people still have calls for service for us. So if I'm training to be a blue belt and say jujitsu, which is probably one of the best, from my experience, one of the best ways to subdue people and control them without really messing them up, causing great harm, you know, bruising and bleeding and things like that, is a very technical skill. And in order to get good at that, you have to do it over and over and over again with multiple opponents, multiple sized opponents. You're going to experience injuries. And now I'm on work com workman's compensation because I torqued my wrist or my shoulder. And then are you willing as a citizen to pay for that? Cops would love to do that. I'm telling you, just like anything else. But the bottom line is there's a cost associated with it. And the staff to that would be really, really difficult. You're not going to do this class for one person. You're going to do it for five cops or 10 cops. In some agencies, it could be as many as 30 or 40, depending on how big they are. That's going to take people off the street on a regular basis. I think most pops, cops would be behind it. The problem is, is like everything else, there's a cost associated with it. And are we willing to pay that? And I think maybe at this time we should be. I agree. I agree. All right. This next question is from a former policeman. How are they, meaning the three of us, dealing with lack of political support and being handcuffed and handling violent rioters? Also, are they experiencing catch and release with rioters? Well, I'm just going to talk about our experience that happened the last few weeks. We really didn't even have a chance to catch and release i mean we we, we let them do what they needed to do to they they got pretty much tired out they thinned out and then you know we had swat there we had you know, a bunch of uh we had a bunch of different um agencies helping us out but i don't the lack of support's tough 
it is tough, especially when you know, being on the street, boots on the ground, watching this unfold, that you could probably end it and you can probably take care of this business quickly and nobody gets hurt and businesses can be saved and, uh, I, and, and money saved. I'm just not there. Um, I think what I would do is, is I think ending it earlier, letting them, you know, letting them peacefully protest. And it says it, you know, in the Constitution, we can peacefully gather and protest peacefully. Once it starts going south or once it starts going bad, you got to end it because people are going to get hurt. And in our situation, we had two or three people get hurt. I mean, seriously injured. Um, and then as far as the catch and release, um, you know, we really, we, we really just kind of let it, let it wither away. Uh, I do have friends in Chicago that do the catch and release, um, and they're getting very frustrated about it because I think as a whole, all policemen want to solve the problem. And this problem continues without, with, without a solution of stopping it and stopping it ahead of time. And, and one thing to, to go along with that is that we work in an area where we have Pretty much, I mean, we have full support of our mayors, our our state's attorneys, things like that. Again, if you work in an agency, and we all, we have friends from agencies all over the place, and and people that we talk to regularly, when you work in a in a in a city or a county or somewhere where you have you don't have the support of state's attorneys, uh, politicians, mayors, I mean, it just adds so much more on top of it. So. We're probably a little spoiled in that sense because we don't have to deal with nearly as much as that of that. Right. And I think one of the things people need to understand is that, you know, our commanders and our, our brass are getting orders from you know, politicians that are watching this from a video screen, not watching it, you know, unfold in front of your eyes. Yeah, I agree with everybody he said there. That was pretty accurate. It's disheartening at times with politicians, but hey, man, this is the system. It's the best system probably in the world. Elected officials determining what appointed officials do. And, you know, until somebody can come up with something better, we're just going to have to roll with this. All right. I think there's going to be the last question. Um, Sean, this is from Vincent. Can you define and discuss defunding the police and what they actually would mean to a police force and the community as a whole? Well, I mean, no mystery. You need money to make things happen. I mean, it is what it is. You're going to lay it out. Like, I look at my tax bill every time I get it, and I see the percentage of it that goes to education. Education improves my property values. It helps my kids get into good schools. It helps my kids learn more and be better students. We're willing to pay for that. You look for a house when you sell or buy. You look at the rating of the school in that area. Nobody asks about the rating of the police department and how that works. And is it a three versus a 10? I mean, we have no national standards out which you could even measure that off of. And like I say to people all the time, people ask me, like, well, what can we do? What can we do? I, I just say to you, be more informed about the process. Be more informed about how many cops you have. Like, sometimes people will say to me, well, how many people are, how many cops are on the street at one time? And I tell them, and they're like, oh, my God, that's it? And I'm like, do you want more? I mean, if, did, what do you want more for? You know, people walk up to me and say, do we need all this stuff in SWAT? And I'm like, well, do you want a town where the SWAT team's out every night? Or do you want to live in a town where the SWAT team's there when you need them? And the idea of defunding the police, I think it's just a phrase that people are throwing out. You know, it's like, uh, you know, White Claw gets credit for all these new drinks that everybody likes. So That's just, keto friendly. Yeah, right. And it's also, no sponsor it's the basically, show, but I'm just going to put it to you this way. Like Having been around for a little while with booze, because I'm Irish and I kind of, it's a, it's in me kind of a thing. Uh, there's Zima, basically. That's all. It's, it's a fading <laughs> thing. And, and, and the producer loves them. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to shut up now. And... Uh, 
pass it along. But again, defunding the police is just, it's something people are saying, like they think like there's going to be a new force that you can come in and get. Look, unfortunately how our system works for people that don't understand that is like you have one town, you have one police department. You don't have like, well, I get to choose from seven police departments. Like, like you have a sports team in your town. Unfortunately, if it's Cleveland, that's all you get. I mean, you're, they, they can either go away or right, you can root for right, them. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is about is, are you going to invest in it? Or are you going to make the time? Again, sports is maybe at times a weird analogy to make with law enforcement. But the bottom line is, is like, how much do you pay attention to what your police department is, how they rate, what they do? Again, we're blessed in that sense. We got a lot of people that are very supportive of us. Right. They're very aware of what our capabilities are and are proud of us. And I mean, one of the few agencies that got praise in the media throughout all this stuff was ours, and we were lucky for that. Um, we do a lot of good things, but people don't pay enough attention to what it takes to train a police officer. There are models out there right. to give you the police officer that you think you should have, like this understanding, cool, calm, and collected all the time, knows everything, has been around, done all these things. Now, the special forces community do that in the military all the time. Do you know what it takes to get to that point in the military? It's not you join up and like you get a green beret thrown on your head and you're in the middle of Mogadishu uh, jumping out of little birds and doing all this stuff. That's a ton of training. It takes infrastructure, cost, all of those things and more officers because if you're training at that level, other people have to be on the street responding to calls. So this is a tremendous cost that we have as a society got to say, if I'm willing to invest this in education, maybe I should invest this also in public safety. And fire departments, every fire department is national standards that they, come, uh, they go by. Every agency has to have certain amount of things in order to be a certified agency. The equipment that they have, the number of engines, the number of trucks, the training that they have to come with is a national standard. Law enforcement, it's all based upon tax revenue and what people are willing to do with it. Right, and I think that's part of the basis of the show is to get people more educated from the outside looking in and from the inside looking out. That's the whole premise of the show, so people have to learn that. So anyway, okay, thanks, guys. Uh, that's it for today. Thank you for your questions. And remember, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions for us, send them to 3 talk at gmail.com. That's 3, the number 3, copstalk at gmail.com. See you next time. Keep them coming.